Go ahead and be opening up your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 1 and 2. We're going to read a few verses in chapter 2 and then go back into uh, chapter 1. And uh, let me just say this while you're, you're turning there. Uh, I, I'm so thankful um, for uh, uh, the time that I had away and the time to refresh and recharge and, and time to just uh, get along with God. And, and I appreciate your prayers for me. I appreciate Brother Donnie uh, preaching last Sunday and... Uh, and, uh, and, and going, uh, I know he felt awful the days after that, but uh, I'm thankful that it, God gave him the strength and the energy to, to do that and to share a fresh word uh, with you that God had put upon his heart. And uh, so thankful for him and, uh, and his ministry here, God's ministry through him uh, uh, here and, uh, and for all that, that God has done. Donnie, we love you and uh, continuing to pray for you and uh, thankful for the opportunity to serve God together uh, in his kingdom. Uh, but as we look at these roadblocks to, to hell, that's what we're talking about. I just want to remind you as we get into these, these last two roadblocks uh, this week and next week that, that these are things that God, God has done and that God has given it to us, but we're the ones that have got to use them. As a church, that's what we're called to do is to use these roadblocks to point people away from hell and the dangers that are there and to point them to Jesus Christ that he is the way maker. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to get to the Father, the only way to get to heaven, the only way to be forgiven of your sins, the only way to have that gift of eternal life is through him. But we've got to use these roadblocks. They're no good if they're sitting in a, in a, a storage unit somewhere or, or sitting in a building somewhere and not out there being used. And so we need to be using them, whether it be serving others and pointing them to the love of Christ or taking the word of God and sharing the truth of the word of God and living out that truth before others or the Holy Spirit. We're the ones that must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're the ones that must be listening and, and depending upon the Holy Spirit. We're the ones that must be praying. We're the ones that must be sharing the gospel. And that is true of this roadblock that we're using, uh, that we're looking at today day as well, sometimes with this roadblock, we just assume because it's already in a lost person's life that it's up to them to use it. But no, 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 no. They're not called to be their own witness. We're called to be the witnesses to them. And so what God has already put into their lives, we need to use that to point them to Christ. What are we talking about? We're talking about the conscience today. The conscience that God has put within every human being on the face of this earth. And he talks about that, that conscience in chapter two, and it's, he's explaining in chapter two some things that we're gonna look at uh, in chapter one. But look in chapter two and verse 14, where he says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their, here it is, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel or according to his, Jesus' gospel. So here he talks about this conscience 
that is within people, even those that haven't heard the law, even those that were outside of the Jewish religion and didn't know the law, that God had put a conscience within their heart. What is this, this conscience? It's a debate that goes on in, in philosophy and, and, and among people that, that, that deal with these things. There's a big debate about what is this conscience that's within man. The, literally, the word conscience, which is taken from the, the Greek word that is used here, it literally means to knowing with, knowing with. There's that con that is there, which has the idea of with. Uh, in the uh, in the Greek language, it is the 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 add-on there soon, the prefix soon that is added there, and then knowing science knowledge that is there. And the ido is the the Greek word that is used there. Soon ido, knowing with. That's literally what it means. And so the idea is knowing with, knowing with what. <laughs> No, that's the question, and that really helps you to understand what conscience is, is when you understand what the what is. Knowing with what? Well, the world takes this knowing with, and the world's definition is they say it's this. It's an internal recognition or knowing of right and wrong, but they interpret this way. It's the knowing with oneself, knowing oneself. And self coming to, to grips and agreeing with one another that you're getting to know yourself and you're getting to know what is right and wrong for you. They have this idea that there's something within every person that there's this common human decency, if you will, and this common human morality that lets us know that killing is wrong and lying is wrong and and you can know within yourself. There's something that helps us to know within ourselves that, that common human morality and decency that is there. Sounds like something very similar to what Adam and Eve chose. When they were given the option, they could have eaten of the tree of life. Instead, they ate of the tree of what? Knowledge. Of knowing good and evil for themselves. And that's what they chose. That's that's not what God means by conscience. It's not knowing within yourself. But the Bible definition this is that it is an internal recognition. It is an internal knowing. But the Bible definition is an internal recognition of how desperately we need help. We need Jesus. In other words... Knowing God. That there's something that God has put within every man that lets him know that the answers are not found within. I need help. That knowing with is that missing part that it's within every person that we know that something is missing. As much as I want to do what's right, I can't do what's right. I can't figure this out. I can't do it alone. I need help. I need someone greater. I, there must be a God because I need a God. That's, that's the conscience within man. He says there in verse 15, he says, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. What is this conscience? It is this writing upon the hearts. Of Who wrote it upon their hearts? God. God. 
that even when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the tree of knowledge, God wrote it upon their hearts that they would never know enough, that they needed something greater. They needed someone greater. And that conscience God has written upon the heart of every man. And so what I want to share with you this morning, back in chapter 1, are these, and that's where he goes to in chapter 2, that's what leads up to these verses we just read, is that there are some conscience grabbers. Matter of fact, we're going to look at three this morning, three conscience grabbers that God has put within the life, within our, our common life that will draw us to God. Now, now we're, as we're talking about some of these things, I, I want you to understand this, okay? And, and there, we're not going to cover everything. We're not going to cover all the answers of creation, all the answers that are found. Well, there's no way we can cover it all. There's no way we can answer every question this morning that these passages in Romans chapter 1 uh, bring up there. And you may have some questions. You may have been asked some questions by, by family members or by lost members there. And I want you to know, I've only got a few minutes this morning to share with you. I wish I had all day to share with you. But I've only got a few moments this morning to share. If you want to talk, we're available. That's what we exist for. Our staff, uh, Brother Jerry, Brother Matt, uh, Brother Trey, Brother David, myself, uh, Andrew, we're all here. We're willing to talk with you. We're willing to talk with your children, whether you're a college student, a, a, a high school student, a, 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 a young adult, a senior adult. We all have these questions, and maybe somebody's asked you some questions. We'll get together in the Word of God, and we'll help you find the answers. But we can't cover it all today. I'm just going to talk about three areas, and I'm not going to be able to cover everything in that, but I just want to whet your appetite, and I want you to know that the conscience that God's put within the lost person you're witnessing to, God has put it there so you can use that to point them to Jesus. It's a roadblock that's within their very heart. The first conscience grabber that God's given us is the tragedy of God's wrath. The tragedy of God's wrath. And by tragedy, understand this, I'm not saying undeserved. We deserve the wrath of God. And the reality is, is that because of our sin, death has come into this world. He told Adam and Eve, when you sin, then you will surely die. And the moment they sinned, they died spiritually. They were separated from God, who is life. And so that happened there. And because of that, death came into this world, and we've been suffering because of that. And death, the death that is around us, that is a reality that we should not ignore because it points us to God. See, that's the idea of this, 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 the wrath of God is that we see that death is a reality. Look in verse 32 of Romans chapter 1 where he says, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things, we mentioned some sin that we'll talk about in, in, in a moment here, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Death is a reality. And death is a result of sin. Not just Adam's sin. Yes, Adam did sin. And he brought death in this world. But you and I continue to sin. 
And every man sins. There's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is a reality. And the reality is because of this sin, death comes. If folks will just be honest, every person knows there's something within them that knows that sin is wrong and that we are full of sin. Even you go, you go to the children, even little children, they don't have to be taught that sin is wrong. They know that they're doing wrong even before they're told that they're doing wrong. That's why they cover it up. That's why they lie. That's why when you ask them, did you do that? They go, uh-uh, no, because they know. They know. And not only do children do that, adults do that as well. But there's something God's put within us that we know that sin is wrong. Now that can be hardened and we can argue and, and, and get confused about things where we begin to justify sin. I'm not saying that, but deep in our hearts, we know that sin is wrong and we know that wrong deserves to be punished. That's, that's, that's just something that we know that God's put within our heart that we deserve punishment. That's why the child says, no, I didn't, because he knows he's going to get punished if he tells the truth. We know we deserve that. And as we grow older and we experience death and see death and know that death is a reality, we know that death is connected to that. And that somehow, after death, everybody's going to be held accountable. It's, we know that. We know that. And although people may have become confused and may have, that's within the heart of, of every man. And we don't like to talk about death, but it's a reality. Listen, every funeral that happens ought to be a reminder we're going to stand before God. Every cemetery you drive by is a reminder that death is coming. Death is real. Every obituary that's in the paper is a reminder. The wages of sin is death. Death is a reality. But what does man try to do? Man tries to suppress the conscience. Back in verse 18, it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What does that mean? We just read it in verse 32, death. And then it says, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Although that's a truth, they try to suppress it. They, you think that the response would be, okay, if sin brings death, let's just stop sinning. Let's, let's, let's do what's right. Let's don't make the wrong choices anymore. Let's, let's, let's do what's right. They think that would be the choice, but man doesn't make that choice. Man instead tries to suppress the truth of that choice. So that he can continue in sin and just ignore the fact that, that, that death is coming and that he will be held accountable. Suppress, what suppress means, it means to, to push away, to keep away. This word that is used here for suppress was, was used of a, like a dam that would keep the waters away. And that's what we try to do with this, this dam of judgment and wrath that we deserve. We just try to push it away and keep it away from us where we don't think about it. We try to suppress. It. It also, this word is also used of, of putting a chain around someone where they, they can't get to you, where they can't get close to you, where you chain them up and ship them away, where they won't be anywhere near you. And that's what we try to do with the truth and with the reality of death. 
We avoid the death talk. We think it's morbid. The reality is our sinful hearts know we deserve it. We don't want this brief pleasure of sin to stop. We can be deceived into thinking that that's as good as it's going to get. Let me tell you, through Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins, it's far better. And people don't want to think about having to face God one day. Because they know whenever we do face God, we'll get what we deserve. Listen. As witnesses, we don't, we're not trying to scare people into heaven. You can't scare someone into heaven. They've got to yield their lives to Jesus. They've got to put their faith in Jesus. But we shouldn't avoid death talk. We should make sure that people understand that they need Jesus and use it to point people to the real answer to the sin problem. It's not, not talking about it, suppressing it but it is putting your faith in Jesus Christ. I remember back uh, a few years ago, back even before COVID, I got a phone call and had the opportunity to go to the hospital. There was a lady there that needed to talk to a pastor. Uh, matter of fact, one of our church members had been witnessing to her and she said, oh, I'd, I'd like to talk to your pastor. And so they called me and I was glad to go. It was on a Friday and I went up there and, and talked to this lady, Mary, She'd been, uh, she'd been diagnosed with cancer. They'd found the cancer. They said it was at the end of stage four. She didn't have much longer to live. And she was broken and she needed to talk to somebody. And I came in there and when I shared the gospel with her, she said, you know, you mean God would forgive me? And I said, yes, he will. That's why Jesus died. That's why it was so terrible what he went through. Is so that you and I can be forgiven. And he can't. And she asked Jesus to come into our heart and save her and prayed this sweet prayer, giving her life to Christ. I told her, I said, Well, listen, I, I'll be back on Monday and we'll talk some more about that. And went up to the hospital on Monday and they had moved her out to a palliative care. And when I got to the room, the room was empty. And I asked the nurse about her, and they said she passed away early this morning. I'm so thankful that God put that within her heart, that when death came, she said, I need help. I need help. I went to her funeral service, and there was just a handful of people that were there, and I mean literally a handful of people that were there. But I tell you what, that Monday morning when she got to heaven, there was a host of people welcoming her in. It's a conscience grabber. Let's point people to Jesus. Secondly, the, the glory of God's creation the glory of God's creation. I mean, it's everywhere. 
Everything is pointing to a creator. It's pointing to God. Look in verse 19 where he says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. There we go. What's he talking about? He's talking about that conscience over in chapter two. It's what he's talking about. For God has shown it to them. And he says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made or created, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. It's talking about the evidence is everywhere. You look in the world around you, you go anywhere and you look, there is someone greater than us. We can't do this. We can't make this. I mean, it says it's manifest. That means it is clearly seen. No mortal can create this world. You go out tonight, find a place where there's no street lights or anything around and look up in the sky when it's clear and you see the universe around us. Man can't do that. Nobody, no person could, could do that and no accident did it either. It's too organized. It's, it's, too, it's too obvious that, that this, is, this is what happened. You know, we, man thinks he's got it all figured out. I mean, but man can't make the mountains. Man can't make the clouds. Man can't make the universe. Man can't make the stars. Man couldn't make the sun. Man couldn't make the earth. You know, I, I read about uh, some scientists that had gotten together and they thought that they had figured it all out. They decided that humanity no longer needed a God, that we could clone people, that we could uh, manipulate atoms, we could build molecules, we can fly through space, we can do all these things and so much more. We don't need God anymore. So they appointed one scientist to go tell God that, that we didn't need him anymore. And so he went to tell God that we didn't need him anymore. And he said, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's have a human-making contest. And the scientist said, okay. God doesn't know that we can clone and things like this. And so we'll, yeah, we, we'll, we'll, we'll try that. And, and so we'll, we'll have a human-making contest. And so the, the, man, the scientist said, uh, okay, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do that. So he got over there and started digging up and get him a, a, a bucket full of dirt and everything. God said, wait a minute. You got to make your own dirt. <laughs> See, God spoke this world into existence. And regardless of what man can't do, man is just using the things that God has already done. And so the creation points to the fact not only that there is a God, but there's a God and he is glorious and he is beautiful and he cares for us. But what do people do? People ignore their conscience. Verse 21 says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Wow, how stupid. <laughs> but that's what we are. We need help. We need someone greater. Rather than believe and bow, man refused to believe and bow and came up with their own theories and came up with their own excuses and even started worshiping the creation rather than the creator. He talks there about a foolish heart. He says in, uh, in verse uh, 21, he says, their foolish hearts were darkened. And then verse 22, he says, professing to be wise, they became as fools. The idea of fool is, that, is, is what it says in, in Psalm 14 and verse one, it says, the fool is said in their hearts that there is no God. 
That's foolish to believe that, but that's the way the, that people do. The conscience points us to the fact there must be a creator. There is someone greater than us, but we try to ignore the conscience and go after our theories and, and follow after our excuses. See, the reason the humanist, the atheist, the reason they can't find God is they don't want to find God. It's kind of like a drug dealer trying to find a policeman. They don't want to find a policeman. They're not looking for a policeman. And these people are not looking for God. But, but listen, we can use that part of a lost person's conscience to point them to God every day. People talk about the weather all the time. That's just common conversation. They'll say, boy, it's hot out there. Yeah, it is. You know, it'd be great if we didn't have a sun, then we wouldn't be hot, right? You know, but we can't do that. We can't take away the sun, neither can we create the sun, but we can know the one who did. And his name is Jesus. We can take creation and point people to God. Well, let's move on. We, got, we need to move through this. The third conscience grabber is the failure of our sin. The failure of our sin. And whenever a person falls into sin, it grabs their conscience. Failures of sin fill people's lives. Look in verse 29. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. It says they're being filled with these things. And that's what sin does. Sin grows. I don't know who said it. I've heard many preachers say it. I think the first preacher I heard say it was, was Adrian Rogers, so I'm going to give him credit. But he said this. He said, sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost more than you want to pay. That's what sin does. And we must under, listen to me. We've got to understand that, that that's the issue with lost people. It's sin. It's sin. We're, we, try to make lost, we try to convert lost people and get lost people to act right before we get them saved. We expect them to act right and they're not saved. Listen, lost people are going to act like lost people. And we don't want them to get saved so they'll act better. We want them to get saved so they can go to heaven, so they can know Jesus, so they can experience the gift of eternal life, so they can have the forgiveness of sin. And listen, he'll clean them up and he'll help them to, to act better, but that's not the goal. The goal is to introduce them to Jesus and to point them away from the, the pits of hell. That's what we're called to do. And once the church realizes this, that we're not called to change our culture, we're called to share the gospel and change lives. That's what we're called to do. Our problem is, is that we pick out a few sins that we won't change and we skip over the other sins that we're doing. Notice he talks about all this 
you know, sexual immorality and wickedness. And, and we'll talk in just a moment about the vile passions and all those things. But he also talks about the unloving and the unforgiving and the unmerciful. Those things are just as much anti-God as the more public sins. The problem is, is people have fallen into sin and we're telling them that they need to change without giving them the way to be changed. I remember witnessing to a man in, over in Mississippi, Sam Jay, and witnessing to him on his porch and he gave his life to Christ. He was an alcoholic, he was dying with cancer, but he gave his life to Christ that day. And when I shared with him, I mean, it was just simple. And he just said, yes, that's what I need and prayed to receive Christ. And when I asked him, I mean, he was an older man. I said, why hadn't you done this before? I know a lot of people have talked to you. He said, nobody's ever told me what you just told me. They said, Sam, quit drinking. Sam, go to church. Sam, stop cussing. Sam, stop running around. But nobody told me how. And he found the how was Jesus and gave his life to Christ. People are in sin falling they need the answer and the answer is Jesus and understand this as they as they fall into sin they will harden their conscience against him but the Holy Spirit is a conscience softener and he's a conscience breaker He's a heartbreaker. That's what he does in, in a good way. He, he softens up the soil. And, and so we need the Holy Spirit to take our witness and do this. But notice how they harden their conscience. And I ain't got time to go into all this. This is something we can talk with you later if we need to. But notice in verse 24, it says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In other words, God turned them over to the sin and the sin began to control their, their lives because they wanted the sin and they wanted that and so God gave them what they wanted and that sin began to control them. And then he talks in verse 26, he says, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions. So he gave them up uh, to uncleanness. Now he's given them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. See, that's what we're talking about. We're wanting people to change this, but we're not wanting them to, we're, we're not giving them the answer of how to change. We're, we're saying quit acting like this when we should be saying give your life to Jesus. Verse 28 and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. A debased mind, a counterfeit mind. This word is used for like a counterfeit coin. It's also used for a soldier who did not fulfill his duty and therefore is kicked out of the army. It's used of a foundation stone that would not work, that was not strong enough and is rejected. That's what people have given themselves into. And yes, their conscience has become hardened. And what is impossible with man is possible with God. 
God can soften their hearts. And God can break their hardened conscience. But we've got to witness and we've got to pray and we've got to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and we've got to share with them the love and the grace of God. Let's wrap this up. Ephesians 2, he talks about there, about all these, these things that, that we go through and he talks about those who once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power there. It says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. As we talk about these things, we must realize such were, were us. We, we were just like these folks and everything. But then he says in verse four, he says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What I'm telling you here is that there's the glory of God's creation. The glory of God came to this earth and put on human flesh. And then we talk about the failure of our sin. He took all our sins upon himself. He took all our failures upon himself and he took up the cross. And there we talk about the tragedy of God's wrath. Jesus took God's wrath for us. We need to point him to the cross, point him to the glorious one, point him to the one who took all our sin and failure there and point him to the one who took God's wrath for us. In him there is freedom. In him there is forgiveness. In him there is new life and eternal life. Church, let's be roadblocks on the path to hell, pointing people to Jesus Christ and the message of the cross. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.